0: The Holy Gospel according to St. John. Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. jesus said to them very truly i tell you i am the gate for the sheep all who came before me are thieves and bandits but the sheep did not listen to them i am the gate whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy i came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The Gospel of the Lord.
1: There's a comedian by the name of Jim Gaffigan who tells a lot of church jokes, actually. He's a pretty devout Catholic himself, but he thinks about heavenly or godly things sometimes in an unusual way, perhaps, and he tells this joke about heaven and the gates of heaven. He wonders, why would there be gates in heaven? Some of you have already heard this. I can hear you laughing already. I'm going to butcher it probably but I'm going to try to tell you it from his perspective. He says, what kind of a neighborhood is heaven in that it needs gates? Why do you need to be in a gated community in heaven? What's surrounding it? Is it like, yeah, there were a bunch of kids. They were trying to get in the pool. We had to put up some gates, keep them out, you know, keep out the riffraff kind of thing. And it wasn't easy to put up those gates either. I mean, we had to go down to hell and get a contractor and everything. <laughs> Somebody out there is like, hey, buddy, I'm a contractor. Now, I don't know if that's too accurate of a description of heaven. It doesn't sound very biblical to me any more than the clouds and the harps and things like that that sometimes we get from outside of the scriptures. But our first reading actually gives us almost a kind of heavenly description here on earth of the church community, sharing everything in common, helping one another. Nobody is left out. It's like we're in the Oregon woods in 1967, hanging out with the doors and cream, and it's all good, man. It's righteous, man. And other phrases that poke fun at my parents' generation. Man, okay. All right, communes don't always work out. And even the early church community had a lot of conflicts and problems and issues that came about, those thieves and those bandits sneaking in to that community, certainly, but they did attract a lot of people early on in the church, especially because they lived out this word of God, this voice of truth that they received from Jesus, the Messiah, from Christ, the good shepherd. And they lived among all kinds of thieves and bandits and robbers trying to steal that word or give another word. And what they what they gave to the community, to the wider community, and even into the Gentile world as the church spread out, was so true and right that it resonated in the bones of the people, and they came together in community. There's a lot more to say about that, and you can read all about it in Acts. You can go home and read the whole book, especially that first part that talks about that early community But I think a pitfall for for today uh, might be to do a couple of different things. First would be to just sort of take that first reading and this gospel reading today and just sort of nestle into the sheep pen, this idyllic community of acts of the church, like you've arrived on a heavenly cloud in the afterlife. Again, not a biblical image, but one that we have in our heads. Just kind of kicking back in the arms of the good shepherd, Safe in the sheep pen, insulated from the world, and just stay away from the whole thing. Or the second thing might be to try and figure out, okay, now, how can I be a good sheep? What do I need to do? What are the steps to become a good sheep? How to make sure you are in that fold? Or maybe even taking it another step and trying to figure out who is in me, of course, but who else? And maybe also who's out of that sheepfold. I've always said that if you want to grow a church really fast and really big, tell all the people that gather that they are in and then find a common enemy for them to blame for all their problems, and they're the ones who are out. It won't have anything to do with Jesus or the Bible, but it'll grow fast. You can be sure of that. And there are plenty of examples around us of those kinds of things going on. But I think to truly understand what is happening here in this Good Shepherd story, we have to understand what comes before. And we need to understand that because there's this kind of third mistake we can make with any word from Jesus, and certainly this word today, and to think of it like it's happening in some kind of whitewashed way. Like a word from a gated community or an ivory tower, apart from the world, just kind of coming down from heaven, separated from our actual, real lives. But it's not. This word today, if we just take it by itself, might appear that way, but it's truly not. It's in the context of a real and a complex story. One of my favorite ones from Scripture. And so I'm going to do something you're not supposed to do. I'm going to preach on a different story than what we just read. A little bit, anyway. Just to give a little bit of background. Now, some of you may be very familiar with the story of the man born blind in John chapter 9. It's a tragic story. It's a hilarious story at a particular part, and it's a meaningful story that draws us into what Jesus is saying and why he's talking about this. In fact, In chapter 10 at the beginning of our our scripture we heard very truly or truly truly or if you're really old school verily verily I say unto you and when you hear those words you know Jesus is saying something important but in what we've heard today he's saying it in a particular context. So if we back up all the way back to chapter 9. And I invite you to read this story because I'm just going to summarize it today. We have the story of the man born blind. And as Jesus is walking along with his disciples, they encounter this man who's born blind. And immediately his disciples ask the question. Okay, Jesus, we want to know this great theological question. And this is an ivory tower question, one that's not really necessary. But they ask it anyway. Who sinned, the man or his parents? Because he was born blind. And Jesus says, you're stupid. No, that's not quite what he says. He says, that's the wrong question. You're going to see God's glory. That's all that matters right now. And so Jesus goes and and he heals this man of his blindness. Spits on the ground, makes the mud, heals the man's blindness. And that starts a whole slew of problems. First of all, the people who know him are like, wait a second. Is, is this the guy? No, it can't. It must be somebody that looks like him. He's got a, he's got a doppelganger, right? It can't be that guy because he can see now. And we know him. We've known him from birth. He, he can't see. And so they bring him uh, to, the, to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders. I mean, there's got to be a little bit of a trial here. We've got to figure this out. How could this possibly happen? There's going to be an investigation. And they bring him before the Pharisees, and they question him. And he's like, this man healed me. Well, he couldn't have done that. He's a sinner. And the guy's like, okay, but I can see, so what are you going to do with that? (laughs) Right? Kind of a thing. Well, oh, man, that's a problem. They didn't believe it, so they went to his parents. He couldn't have been born blind. The parents freak out a little bit, as you can imagine, with these robed religious leaders standing over them. They say, no, no, he's of age. You, You can ask him. We wash our hands of this thing. And they go back, and they ask him again. And as they ask him more and more what happened, more and more, he kind of starts to see who Jesus is and what's going on here. He actually, at one point, and this is the funny point, he says, Oh, you're asking me all these questions. Do you want to become his disciples? <laughs> no, they don't. And they chase him out. Finally, they, they, they take him and they, just, they, they throw him out of the religious community. They take him out of the sheep pen, you might say. Jesus seeks him out. Jesus goes around the square looking for this man. He's heard he's been thrown out. He doesn't wait for him to come to him. Jesus, or make a decision for him, he seeks him out. And he tells him the promise. I am the Messiah. I am the one who is to deliver the people. And the man says, I believe. And truly, that's where the sight is. Comes in. Yeah, he can see things. He can see light and shapes and colors. He's been healed of that or cured of that blindness. But now he's healed of the spiritual block between him and God by Christ's holy word. It's a beautiful story and it ends in this way that the religious leaders come to Jesus, the Pharisees come to him. And by the way, the Pharisees' intentions are good. They really do earnestly want the people to be righteous. So that God will deliver them. But they're climbing up the ladder rather than receiving the one who's climbed down. But they come to Jesus and he says to them, if you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. Your blindness remains. And that's the context into which Jesus tells the good Shepherd story. So the audience that Jesus has been speaking to, we can assume, is still in the room, so to speak. The man born blind, some of the Pharisees, the disciples who were traveling with Jesus are all there. And so Jesus speaks to that upside-down neighborhood that we live in. (laughs) And he turns it right-side up again. You know, people often talk about how Jesus brings in this great reversal or that he turns things upside down. I would argue that Jesus doesn't turn things upside down. I mean, if you think the world is right side up right now, I want to live in your head, right? I want to live in your world. Jesus doesn't turn it upside down. He turns it right side up once again. He cuts through all the noise and all of the lies and all of the disappointments and all of the hurts and gives us his healing His truth. So these words we have before us today address a real world issue and real world questions. The religious leaders, in thinking that they are the shepherds and that they are the gate, have actually turned into the very thieves and bandits that Jesus speaks against. They are shooing out this blind man, they are shooing out a sheep who is one of God's chosen, one of God's children. And as they chase this blind man out, Jesus says, I won't have that. And this happens all over the place today. We see it, we experience it even at times. Even in the church. There are plenty who steal the word of God for their own purposes. In fact, we have an example before us today in 1 Peter in our second reading. I will guarantee you, I will bet my life that someone who is an abusive thief and a bandit who is abusing someone else has used that text to justify. No, no, you're supposed to just take this abuse. It's not at all what that text is about. I think we can all see that. But even the scriptures can be twisted just like the Satan does with Jesus in the temptation in the wilderness. Even the scriptures can be twisted by those who would steal it away from its truth. And there are plenty of others, millions upon millions of voices in our lives that try to give us meaning or promise us or, res- or promise a rescue or sell us hope for just a little bit of a cost. And they just simply don't live up. Oh, there are all kinds of great helpers in our world today, but apart from the Word of God, that central promise of God, they are nothing. They will fail us. And if there were thieves and there were bandits and if there were a cacophony of voices in Jesus' day, whoa, what do we have now? You know, I get pr- pretty excited about some of the possibilities with artificial intelligence with AI, but man, I get a little terrified too <laughs> because there is already and a potential for even more to explode further with voices of, of uh, thieves and bandits that would try to steal us away. Steal us away from true relationship with other actual human beings, and on and on and on. And yet, and yet, the shepherd speaks. The shepherd's voice doesn't go away. Even though, the, no matter how many voices might come at us, no matter how many thieves and bandits might seek to steal us away or make empty promises, the shepherd speaks. And we simply, our job is simply to receive the word. To simply receive the promise. We don't have to be the shepherd. We don't have to be, and we often fall into this, I do way more than I would like to admit, we don't have to be the gate. Because we aren't. We just receive the word that saves, the promise that saves. In fact, if we were just to go one more verse in this passage to verse 11, we would hear this great promise. And boy, if this isn't real life and real salvation and real truth and real promise, I don't know what is. Verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Talked a little bit about that gated community in the joke, right? Or that idyllic community. But Jesus doesn't just say, I'm the gate, I'm the shepherd, come on in, lie down. It's great in here. But it says he also then leads us out. And the word that's used here in Greek is ekbalo, which is like to throw out. It has this kind of almost, not violent sense, but this kind of aggressive sense of being, of being tossed out. So is Jesus bringing us in and then tossing us out of the sheep pen? no. But as he leads us out, he leads us out with power and with authority. To do what? To not only to hear his voice, but then to proclaim that word of truth. To be and embody the voice of truth that we have heard and received and been gifted with and celebrated in community, but then to go out from the sheep pen into the world with, in fact, led by the good shepherd, by his voice, by his life, by his death, by his resurrection, by his presence with us, to go out with that good shepherd leading us and to add the voice of truth, the voice of promise to all the other voices in the world that are possessing and stealing away our brothers and sisters. We are the sheep of God's pasture and given his healing and comfort. But we are also given a mission, a purpose, and a promise. And however much we screw it up or get it wrong, Christ will still pick us up and shepherd us and forgive us and heal us and lead us on. May we hear and embody and return to the words of truth in our scriptures and our study and prayer and our community May we also proclaim to a world in need what is really true, that voice, that promise of the Good Shepherd. Amen.